0: Here at Book Matters, we are taking a well-earned break over the holiday period, but in the meantime we have put together some great listening in our best in-conversation events that were held during the year.
1: Back in February last year, we had the pleasure of speaking with Sydney
0: author Mary Ann O'Connor for Library Lovers Day. She spoke about her writing process and told us all about her inspiration for her new novel, Dressed in Iris, which is a vivid romantic story of Sydney in the 1930s depression the heartbreak, the glamour, the dark underbelly, the struggle towards a better day and one young woman's dream of designing her way from rags to riches. She also speaks about her work with the Hornsbury Koo Ring Eye Women's Shelter which offers safe emergency accommodation and support services to women facing domestic violence and homelessness. We hope you enjoy. Welcome everybody to Casey Cardinia Libraries in conversation with the lovely mary O'Connor. To begin, we acknowledge the traditional owners of our land and pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I'll give you a little bit of a background about Marianne, and then she can tell us all about her beautiful new book, Dressed by Iris. We are also celebrating this week Valentine's Day which was yesterday and also Library Lovers Day, which is just an annual day that we all celebrate how good libraries are in our life. Marianne O'Connor grew up in Wurrunga in the bushland shire of Hornsby, Coringai, North Sydney. An avid reader, she devoured her mother's extensive library and was often found trying to finish a chapter by torchlight late at night, and who hasn't done that? She also began to fill every blank piece of paper in the house with stories and drawings of her own and dreamt of becoming a writer one day. Mary-Anne has drawn on her love of the Australian bush, her fascination with her own family history and her deep abiding respect for the men and women who carried our nation through turbulent formative times to produce these lovely novels. Mary-Anne still lives in the Bushland Shire with her family and she's an avid supporter of the Hornsby Kuringai Women's Shelter. Welcome to Casey Cardinia Libraries, Mary-Anne, and thank you so much for joining us this evening for our special event Congratulations on your new novel, Dressed by Iris. Thank you. <laughs> it must be exciting to see it out there on the shelf and what a beautiful cover it is as well. I just happened to have one I prepared earlier right here <laughs> <laughs> and it is beautiful.
1: Yeah, it was wonderful when I saw the cover. That's always a really big moment, actually, when you finally get to it because you have no idea what they're going to come up with. I to say, do you have any input at all into the cover of your books? Not really. I used to have a little bit more, in, you know, a few years ago, but these days they know what they're doing. I actually just step back. They're always beautiful. And this one was particularly surprising. I think I kind of thought it would just be a girl standing in a field or something and I, I didn't expect her to be so elegantly It really is beautiful, isn't it? (laughs)
0: Now, look, I'm fortunate enough to have already read it and I absolutely loved it. It actually took me back to my late mother's era when she was growing up in the same era and some of the stories she used to tell me. But for the benefit of our viewers, can you tell everybody what your lovely book's all about?
1: It's actually inspired by family um, quite heavily because my mother's family grew up in the Great Depression in Sydney. And so Iris is actually my auntie Iris. Oh lovely. A elder sister I mean she's she's fiction you know Iris yes. didn't actually do all these <laughs> extraordinary things that my character did but she was a pretty extraordinary person and her character was very strong and Agnes who is Iris's mum is probably the most accurate character I've ever written drawing on real life. She is my grandmother and I adored my grandmother so to actually write this book about her relationship with her family. So it's the story of a very poor family, and they were, and they lived in a shanty town. In actual fact, my grandfather built a shanty shack, um, kind of in the middle of nowhere, and uh, he panned for gold dust. He was an ANZAC, so like the character in the story, Bob. He came back from war, and there's just no work. And I mean, this generation was sandwiched between World War One and World War Two, mm-hmm. and they didn't have any employment, and so. The Great Depression hit and they were trying to live off the sasso, which was the doll, and it it was just pretty much impossible. So it just made such a great backdrop to write a story about and to go through all of that struggle as the characters do. And Iris has a dream of um, becoming a designer, even just a seamstress. She's Mm. a designer, just seems... Far too unrealistic for her, yeah. yes. But she uh, she has a great talent for it, as did my auntie Iris, actually. And she ends up getting a job as a cleaner in Sydney in a department store. And one thing leads to another. She makes a wonderful friend called Natasha, who I had a lot of fun writing. And Natasha's just everything you wish she could be in some way. She's so naughty and outspoken, but so big-hearted. And, yeah. of course, she's gorgeous. She's a Russian model, Australian type and she's just wonderful and she really encourages iris to seek her dreams but meantime iris has a broken heart she's in love with a protestant boy and my family are very catholic which is also true to life i grew up the youngest granddaughter on both sides of big catholic families i'm one of 58 first cousins
0: oh wow <laughs> Christmas must have been interesting at your place. Wonderful. It would have been great fun, but I hope no one had to cook for that many people.
1: Oh, they all cooked. You know, it's like those great big families. Everybody cooks something and everyone's in the kitchen and there's cups of tea flying everywhere and children running under skirts and under tables. It was just such a wonderful upbringing. So it wasn't half me to write a family of nine. In this book, because I come from a family bait anyway. Oh, a good Irish Catholic family <laughs> there.
0: <laughs> very Irish,
1: yes. very Catholic. Even though we're fifth generation, but there's so many of those Irish sort of details that come through into your life. I remember Nana saying, We'll go and see a film, you know. A film, and, yes. yes. <laughs> and if you were in trouble, you'd go for Rowe, which was actually going up onto the Hulks on the Thames into a convict ship. Like these Amen. things came down and, and the Catholicism, when I was a child, I think my parents were more afraid of the church than they were of the police.
0: Well, that was the interesting thing that stuck out to me in the novel was the Protestant and the Catholic relationships. I didn't believe it was that strong in those days that you had to marry within your religion. You couldn't marry outside your religion or you were
1: almost shunned by the family. That was really interesting. Yes, even in my lifetime, I'm in my early 50s, I remember very distinctly when I was young that my older brothers were at a Catholic boys school Mm. and the other school was a protestant boys school and it was a like warfare between them it was a really Mm. big deal you know now it's not at all but it was even in my living memory it was like that it was so stupid but that's the way it was and people had to adhere to what their family expected of them because their parents expected it and it goes back to Ireland where that was a very real problem you know
0: and it was also the other thing I remember from my mother's days when she was young, she left school very young and she went to work in a boot factory, as they called it, you know, a shoe factory. And then I know when she got married, there was huge shortages of lace and things like that to make her wedding dress. So it's exactly the same era there. And, and they did it tough
1: in those days. They really did. They really did. I mean... I think I have had quite a lot of feedback that people like the authenticity of the novel, which I'm really pleased about because there's a lot of true life in there. So, for example, they did have a dirt floor. It was just a one big room tin shack that he made and it was petitioned by Blanket's. That the bedrooms were blankets across mm. on a piece of rope, and they did eat damper out of a dugout termite ant's nest. That was the stove, oh. and uh, and shelves were actually baskets that were pinned to the wall. And newspaper was a tablecloth, and cardboard went into shoes. You didn't get new shoes, you know. If, if your shoes were had holes, you put cardboard in in the soles of the shoe. And Nana really did make ham bone soup. So my mum, who was very shy was sent down to the butcher to beg for the ham bone. And when I say beg, she didn't say, please, please, you know, but yes. she felt it was begging, and it, and it was really. And And this kind butcher used to, Mr Parsons, used to give her the ham bone and really never charged Nana for it, you know, but yeah, she would yeah. feed a family of nine on that ham bone and from the little meagre vegetables she grew. But mm-hmm. they had nothing. Otherwise, I no, no. was starving,
0: you know. Yeah, and it would be really good if today's generation could actually read your novel and understand what their grandparents and great-grandparents went through to where we are now. It was really an interesting
1: exercise to write this in lockdown. Yes. Because I was feeling quite sorry for myself like everybody else and I was writing this novel and I I remember really clearly my Nana saying to me when my washing machine broke once she said your generation don't really know what struggle is and and she didn't say it in a judgmental way she said it in a very kind nano yeah. way yeah. oh you don't really know and I I never forgot it it's so true because oh my washing machine's not working well she had to wash it with um river rocks in the creek. she had to starch. Sh- dash shirts with sugar. and Boil up the copper as they used to boil (laughs) up the copper yes. And we've been oh we have to wear a mask when we go to the supermarket where everything is.
0: How did you cope with lockdown I suppose being an author as you are you're quite used to working at home and and working in solitary it's sort of probably hit you least compared to everybody else who's used to being out and about and doing everything.
1: Was it much of a difference for you or not really? That's true. I am quite social, so I did find that difficult. Because of my life being so solitary, I do really like to socialise, so I did miss that. But I have two teenage boys and a husband, and we're a very happy family. And I think that it made me really appreciate how well we get on. I mean, it really wasn't any fights like everybody. We make each other laugh. And I think writing about such a tight-knit family, I get thinking I'm drawing on real life, that we laugh over the silliest things, you know, and, and it's just so much fun. And I really, I started taking what I should be grateful for from lockdown and that was you'll never get this time again when you're just so closely knit. Mm. And we were very fortunate to have each other and for that to be a positive. And so, stay to stay well. well. Well, we all got COVID actually.
0: Oh, did you? <laughs> yes. Oh, dear. Oh, you poor thing. Which, which variant did you get? Just
1: oh, the yeah. latest one? We got it for Christmas, and New Year, oh, and Omicron. I was really quite sick, but I'm fine now. I've been triple vaccinated. I was fortunate, it, but we all got that. That wasn't very nice, but no. aside from that, I, I just kept looking for the positives in it. I got a bit depressed sort of this last lockdown in January when we'd all been sick and we were all in lockdown, you know, we are in close contact situations, yes. had to be isolated, and I, I did get to a point where I was like, I'm really over this. Yeah. <laughs> Look, join the club. I
0: think we were all over it. The first year when it happened in 2020, it was sort of a bit of a novelty in a way. All of a sudden, we're working from home from the library and people say, how can you work at home from the library? And we said, well, we just found new and inventive ways to operate, which we did, like doing things like this, doing our Zoom events and Teams events. And I started a podcast, Book Matters, which has been going really well ever since we started. So there's just another way of doing it. But I've, And people b- baked bread and they decluttered. And it was all a little bit of a novelty to a certain extent. But last year, nah, we were over it. We've had it. We've got to do
1: it all over again. <laughs> yes, and I think that you also get, because social media is just such a big part of what I do. We're always on social media and um, there's a huge amount of marketing promotion and I'm reaching out to your audience and your readers. And unfortunately, social media, there was just so much arguing and I did find that got me down that not me arguing, just the world arguing about yes. everything. And, and I kind of wanted to keep reaching out and saying, we can do this. This generation did this. Yes, you know, exactly. But then I thought, I'm just preaching. So I, oh, I didn't no. say anything. But I, I used to sit there going, oh, you know, I'm, they went through two wars as well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we can do this. So. Exactly.
0: Now, what inspired you to become a writer? And why did you choose to do historical fiction rather than any other genre?
1: That's a funny thing. I, I actually have just written a manuscript that is a, a modern story. Oh, um, okay. So that's a bit different. But uh, I always wanted historical, I suppose, because I read historical. So, And my mother was a an avid reader, as you said at the beginning, and yes. had a great library. And I read every single thing that she had there. But originally when I was young I read all the fairy tales and then I went into all the classics like the Austens and so on. Mm-hmm. And and so all of those sort of old worldly and, like, I loved Hans Christian Andersen and, and it was always about this sort of very romanticised world where you were completely unplugged and you made your own fun. I mean, I love little women. I love the way yeah. they dress up and play games and do plays and write stories and I love the, the purity of all of that of just there's no, there's no alcohol, there's no drugs, there's no television, there's no video games, there's just people and, laughing and being together. And
0: everyone was happy. Yeah,
1: <laughs> except for people dying younger and lots of diseases. I romanticised it quite a lot, I think. Uh, but, of course, historical fiction from there was just a very easy genre for me. But I didn't become a writer till I was 45. So, um, I've Never only too been, late. You're never I, too late. I, I always wrote. I just didn't think anybody would be interested in it. And I had a marketing career and I was teaching and so on. And then um, I got published. It was really funny. It took three years to get published I wrote Gallipoli Street which was actually also the one inspired by Nana and da, and uh, took three years I went to every publisher in Australia and I really think a lot of people that don't get published is because they're not stubborn enough <laughs> you've got to be persistent quietly persistent.
0: persistent yes and you've got to have a
1: thick skin which I don't have but I had to develop one I'm actually very oh. sensitive and emotional and I even though I'd cry and wail with every objection I also was
0: right i'm not
1: giving up you know, you
0: grow another a layer of skin with every rejection <laughs> you get sort of thing well i've got two of your books here sitting on my to be read shelf i've got i've got gallipoli street and i've got worth fighting for that are on my tube right next to be there so this one was the first one that i actually read so now that i've read that oh. i'm definitely keen to go back to your other ones that are sitting here and i haven't got two yet but oh. um
1: well, I think it's, it. you know, similar in many ways. But I had this photo. This is a photo of yes. my grandparents. And that's, oh. that's my grandfather and that's yep. my grandmother. So that's Agnes in the book and yep. that's Bob in the book. And he was 17 when he went to war and he went to Gallipoli. Mm. So we had this real baptism the fire. So that's where Gallipoli Street came from, actually. Right. And when I was trying to get it published, it was so much from the heart that I couldn't accept that it wouldn't. Yeah. And I used to have that photo right here in front of me with a candle and I used to light it every day and just really pray to them. <laughs> I'm Catholic. And yeah. but, but if not even a Catholic, they just try to call on their spirit to help me, please mm-hmm. get this published, please get this published, I want to tell your story, you know. And uh, anyway, it, it did get published and it, I, I still can't believe it actually. <laughs> And now I've written seven books and I've got two more manuscripts and it just keeps going. And it's only been seven years and nine books and uh. oh, but that that's
0: great though. So you're you're writing a contemporary one at the moment. Is that right? That's the manuscript that
1: you're Doing uh, at the moment? No, I, I wrote it no? last year. And oh, I've, okay. I've just put it over there. I actually wrote <laughs> it for America, but now I'm having thoughts. It's set in Manly, it's kind of a surfy story. Oh, yeah, and yeah. I thought they might like that because, you know, Bondi Rescue and all stuff. <laughs> 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 but I don't know. We'll see. But you've I'm, got
0: another historical one on the go? Yeah. I'm just
1: right towards the end of writing about the Australian soldiers in Crete, okay. but the, um, the Australian character is actually German. So his father's incarcerated in Australia just for being German. They were refugees. So it's, it's just this sort of where does your loyalty lie? Mm. Of course, he falls in love with a Greek resistance fighter. So,
0: And I wanted to ask you too because there's actually, I could almost say there's almost three romantic threads in Dress by Iris because there's mum and dad, their love-hate relationship sort of thing there at times, and then, of course, there's John and Iris, and then there's her brother. And Natasha as well so how important do you think it is to have romance in a novel
1: well I want it so if, I was if you around, want it probably other people do too well I think that's what you do you try to write the book that you want to read someone said that to me once write the book you want to read yeah and I thought well I always want to read something that has a romantic theme I, I don't necessarily want to read just like a straight out romance mind you I have read thousands of them. I do love them. Of course <laughs> we I, do. <laughs> but I love to put history because then you can sort of hang a whole story off some great drama that's already written for you. I mean, yes. history's already sitting there and you can sort of plot your way along. Well, what would happen if, you know, they were involved in this, like the guy in Crete, like, well, mm. what if his father's incarcerated for being German back home? How's he feeling? Mm. So it makes it – history gives you a plot. So that's been great. But oh, I love romantic movies too and – You want them to fall in love and you want them, you know they're going to have struggles, but you want love to win.
0: Yes. And Iris was a really strong character in that book too, for a woman, for her, for her time too. She was very determined and she was very strong. And I mean, even though I think John would have married her in a heartbeat, she kept saying, no, no, no. She had her dream. And that was probably pretty rare for that era too because women were sort of expected just to get married young. Your husband will look after you and then start having babies. So it was quite unusual to have her such a strong person. So uh, obviously, your, was it your... Your aunt, was who was Irish? or My aunt, yes. Your aunt, obviously she was a strong woman too. That's what you based her on. She
1: was. I mean, she didn't have the Irish Protestant complication in her life. Her complication, it was a very sad one, that she was a bit older than, you know, she actually was 17 in World War II and mm. just married and pregnant and her husband got killed.
0: Oh.
1: It was so terrible. It was really mm. sad. And so she found out on Valentine's Day. And he and it was right at the end of the war. Was, he'd been three times and, uh, and he died. And he said to her, I don't think I can survive it again. And he didn't. He got killed in Borneo. And uh, it was so tragic for everybody. Mm. And anyway, she had the baby like I think two months later or something. And um, that's my oldest cousin who's wonderful. But Iris got married 10 years later and had another four children. But she worked very, very hard. And she mm. went and did everything she could to look after that little girl, and Nana helped her a lot. Um, but she had to go out there and have a career, basically, which was waitressing and cleaning and working in anything a shop. Anything she could get, really. And, yeah, yeah, anything she could get, but she had to have that fortitude. Because, me, back then you didn't really, I don't really think you got much of a pension at all. And I, I was going to say
0: there were no single mother's pensions in those days or anything.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I think there was, well, it was introduced, actually, in the book, wasn't it? The Labor Lang, he did introduce... Something along those lines, but um, yeah. then it got kicked out again, you know, there wasn't much, yes, put it that way. But she was such a strong woman, and she was just like Nana, she was very cheerful. So yeah. they went through these terribly hard things, but they just I just remember them always being cheerful. And I was only yeah. died a few years ago, and she lit a candle for her husband, her first husband, at the launch of Gallipoli Street, and it was just beautiful. And then mum lit a candle for Da. And we had Nana's photo, and we had like about oh. 150 people, and they went up. And she's never acknowledged him publicly. You know, she didn't want to hurt the feelings of the second husband, I think. And but she lit that candle, and she she had cancer and she was dying, but she oh. she walked up those stairs to light that candle, 26 stairs or something, and and she did it, and she was determined to do it. And so I think that you feel the determination of her and her spirit in, in Iris very much. Mm, so um, mm. I would have loved for her to have known. I was writing it, but yeah. I hope she does. <laughs> I
0: think she would. But a couple of the other themes that you had into it too was, of course, the way the workers were treated, and especially in the store, the manager, he wasn't the nicest person out. And there was like there was a little mafia happening there too, wasn't there? They were sort of they were all in cahoots with each other and they just – Didn't treat women well. And even the snobbery within the workers at the store too. You had to be a certain pecking order to sort of almost have respect because Iris started off just as a cleaner. And I still remember reading that part with the woman on the exclusive floor, the way she treated her. Yeah, it was really interesting. And some things haven't changed, unfortunately, have they? It's been around Mm. for a long time.
1: Well, class distinction has followed us, and I think that we liked to have thought we left it behind, but we certainly didn't, and it's every book I've written, and so she, especially poor Irish, that was a really big deal, and so... It was very much in the politics, and that's mm. why there's some so much of that in the book about there was this very big stamp between Labor and Liberal and but very much so about trying to protect the working classes because people were literally starving and evictions mm. were just terrible. I mean, they were throwing mm. families out in the street all the time and they had nowhere know where to go. So there really were shanty towns. That was a real shanty town that I wrote about in Newcastle. That was a real place, Texas in Newcastle, and in terrible situations for children mm. to be raised, malnutrition. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, there was no contraception as such in those days either, obviously. So, there were many, many children being born. I love the thread about the SP bookmaker in there, that the the brother (laughs) taking on being an SP bookmaker. I thought that was really good and how no spoilers or anything, but the family sort
1: of got involved with that a little bit too so yeah
0: that that's was pretty, true that was, that was very common in yeah, those that's days true. the
1: Nana used to she loved to flutter on the horses yes. and she was really lucky and uh, what happens in the book actually pretty much happened don't think the odds were as good and I won't give away too you know, much. <laughs> no <yeah>. no spoilers <laughs> the, the miraculous medal happened too that's all I was like is that right okay all right
0: everyone's <laughs> got to read the book to find out exactly what Marianne's talking about. Now, because, because it's been Library Lover's Day, what role have, has libraries played in your life?
1: Oh, look, I can get goosebumps talking about this because Hornsby Library, which is my local library, when I was a little girl, my favourite thing was when we got to go to the library. And I remember I read every single fairy tale book, which was a lot. (laughs) It was a lot. And then I graduated to Edith Blyton's and Famous Five and Secret Seven and all those. And then off we went into the Austens and so on. But I just remember... I would just go a beeline for fiction, and, I'd, and I I you wouldn't be able to drag me out there, and I'd take all these books home. I loved it so much. Whereas my my brothers would go straight for nonfiction. <laughs> so I it was such a like a magical place, and um, I just loved them. There's something about them that you walk in, and and it's like the you can hear all the words whispering, all the voices that people, and that your voice stays mm, there you mm. know like it, like in a 100 years time or 200 years time my voice is still going to be whispering in a library somewhere and I think that it's wonderful that story is so important it gets passed down I mean many cultures indigenous cultures um that's the only way it can get passed down is story mm. and I think that library holds story it's a very sacred place
0: and the best thing is it's free it's one of the only things left in life that is free non-judgmental anybody can join a library and one of the best parts of my job is recommending books to people and having them come back and say oh my god that book you recommend I just loved it and that was one of the things that we did while we were locked down too is we did home deliveries of books. We would mail out boxes of books to people and we got some terrific feedback from our patrons and we even had a lot of people actually join the library because we were offering this service. And to have people come in and say, I just discovered a whole lot of new authors I would never have picked up had I actually come in because we had like 70% of our collection was out on loan at one stage because nothing could come back. Everything was being mailed out and nothing could come back while we had the shoots closed and all that. So, I mean, it gives you a really good feeling working for a library when someone comes back and does say, I really love that book you recommended. You think that's it, my job is done. I've done it. That's great. So oh, that's really good to hear. And I mean, we're we're always here to support you guys too. I mean, we're just so looking forward to getting back to having real authors in person in the in the library after two years of having nobody except on a screen. It'll be just lovely to have real authors coming back. So we've got a couple coming up,
1: but um, yes, I've done a few library talks, which I absolutely love because they're they're people who love reading, that audience. But I've actually been invited to speak at the New South Wales State Library. I know. I'm kind of freaked out by it because that's sort of the pinnacle. It is. I'm I'm nervous. I don't know what to say. uh, That's really exciting, though. (laughs) I'm sure you'll be fine. No worries. It's so intimidating. Imagine
0: walking in there. I'm sure you'll be right. So what are you reading at the moment? Have you got
1: some recommendations for our listeners and watchers here? Yes, I'm reading a book called Burnt Out by Victoria Brookman, and it's about the bushfires, which I live near the bush, so it's very in time for us. But she was in the middle of it, in the mountains, and she's written this cracking book. It's a debut novel. I love it. And I'm halfway through. I'm going away this weekend to the Gold Coast, and I'm going to be lying by that pool, and I'm going to read it cover to cover. (laughs) (laughs) Well, chicken half cover.
0: (laughs) So do you like reading historical fiction yourself, or do you find that might... What, what can I say it skew your ideas a bit if you're reading what someone else is writing about in your genre or do you like to read yes. outside of your genre a little bit
1: my problem is I can't really read when I'm writing I have read less in my life since I've been an author than ever before like and that's why I actually look forward usually at Christmas I take a few weeks off and I just binge read I just read mm. everything I've been holding on. but some I can't resist like I really wanted to read burnt out so I read it anymore. but you're right about that I'm uh, Terrible mimic. And so it's, <laughs> don't read Darry Fraser when I'm writing because no. <laughs> you know, we're a bit alike, I think. Mind you, I love her. She's just and she's a wonderful person and she's got some really fantastic books. I really love Trisha Stringer as well. I think she yep. hits the nail on the head. Love Rachel Johns. Who doesn't love Rachel Johns? Yeah. Like Maeve Binchy and uh, I like humour in a novel. You want a bit of light. Oh, yeah. Sometimes it
0: depends what mood you're in. If you've just read something that's a bit heavy going, you think, I just want to read something light, not fluffy, but something I don't have to think about too much that's going to give me a smile on my
1: face by the time I've finished it. That's right. I remember reading the opening page of Craig Silvey's um, Jasper Jones, and I had complete author envy because the, the imagery was So hilarious, but so vivid. He was talking about this. It's the first page that he was talking about this guy coming out of the window of his home, trying to get out without his parents knowing. He said, "I'm so gangly and uncoordinated as at fourteen that I was like a foal being born, (laughs) (laughs) coming out of this window with his sandals on his feet." You know. It was the 60s. And I, I laughed so much at that page. I must have read it three times before I even read the rest of the book, which I love that book, mm, Jasper Jones. Mm. Read Jasper Jones. But yes, I've one, read Jasper Jones. That's
0: one I have read. I haven't seen the movie, though. I, no, me neither. Yeah, sometimes you can sort of think, oh, I'm a bit disappointed because I really love the book so much that I want to make sure that is the movie going to spoil it. Yeah. So I haven't actually watched that. But anyway. It's, well, I mean, that
1: sometimes... I would have watched every single adaptation of Pride and Prejudice that ever existed. But
0: and probably Little Women as well.
1: Yes, every single one and Jane Eyre, any of those. But I did think that you can't go past Colin Firth being Mr Darcy. Just oh, say, say, no no more. More. <laughs> say no more. Say no more. Never. Never
0: can be done. No. <laughs> I highly recommend Marianne's book. It's beautiful. So good luck, Marianne, for the launch of your book. Have you got any events, real live events, apart from going to the State Library of New South Wales to launch your book?
1: Yes, I'm actually, tomorrow night I'm going to be on um, Better Reading. Okay. um, Which is a really exciting one too. And they're the wonderful supporters, obviously, um, of Australian fiction. So busy week, this one. Oh, that's good.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate you. And hopefully one day you can make your way down to Melbourne and come and do an event in person at one of our branches. We would love
1: that. I would love that. There's there's so many of my relatives down there, actually. So hello.
0: Now, Sandy is Worrell has actually said, thank you, Marianne and Janine, an extremely interesting talk. So thank thanks, you. Sandy, for being brave enough to... A- make a comment. <laughs> okay, with no further ado, we'll we'll finish it there. And thank you so much. All the best. And we'll look forward to seeing what comes from your pen next. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Okay, thanks.
1: Bye.